Thanks for listening to The Gathering from Storyline Church. The ability to change or grow is a fundamental aspect of what it means to be alive. This past Sunday morning at Storyline's Gathering, we continued our series, Grace Changes Everything, by looking at how grace changes change, or the way we grow. The band performed songs by David Ramirez, Taylor Swift, Brooke Luggettwood, and more. Let's have a listen.
depression works the graveyard shift all of the people I'm ghosted stand there in the room I should not be left to my own devices they come with prices and vices I end up in crisis I wake up screaming from dreaming one day I'll watch as you're leaving cause you got tired of my scheming Exhausting, always rooting for the anti 
what kind of parents let their kids watch that growing up? It was Roadrunner, by the way, kids. If you're under 40, you might not know that, but... Anyway, it's good to be together. Uh, thank you for being here. I was uh, in California, actually, last week, visiting uh, my wife, Lisa, who's out there for about another month or so, uh, coaching volleyball. And we got the, a chance to see two very good friends of ours, Paul and Judy Koopmans, who many of you know. They were part of Storyline from the very beginning um, until they moved out to, to California a few years ago. And the entire trip was just such a great time and such a great reminder as we talked so much about storyline and how things are going here and kind of updating them on what's happening. Such a great reminder of how fortunate and blessed that I am to be a part of this and how grateful I am for all of you. So thank you. And I just wanted to start off this morning by saying that because being gone for a week just really brought that home for me. So anyways, somebody asked me a couple weeks ago, uh, what do you do? And that should be an easy question to answer. But for me, it's not. Because like all the staff here at Storyline, uh, we all have, some of us, more than one other job. Some of us, multiple jobs. And so I really never know how to answer that question. And this person could tell that I was struggling to answer what should be a very straightforward question. And so they tried to help me out by going, well, what's the essence of what you do, you know? And that's, in some ways, a harder question, an even harder question. But for me, it's a little bit easier because I actually see that my two jobs, this one here at Storyline and as a teacher at Lakeshore High School, I really kind of see them as the same thing. And I just kind of blurted out, I, I try my best to help people ask better questions in the hope that we can all get better at getting better. Now, this was news to me when I said this. I don't know where it came from, but I kind of liked it. And, and so I'm going to stick with it. And, because it really does fit, I think, both of my jobs, if you will. And that's what I'm trying to do. And, and then they said, well, why do you do that? Like, what, what is that about? Now, and that's an easy question for me. Because I am, and I have been for a very long time, addicted to changed lives. I really do believe that human beings can change. And, and when I say thank you for being such a wonderful community and for inviting me to play a part in it, this is what I'm most grateful for about Storyline. And it's Storyliners. And, and it's this part and piece of Storyliners. Storyliners change. Like this is a growing community. And I don't just mean in the number of people who are involved, but actually people are growing like in the depth and perspective and wisdom and intention and love that we bring or try to bring to life. And every week, someone shares with me, you know, something like, well, I used to think this and now I'm not so sure. Or in the past, I would have done, but now. Or, you know, I didn't realize that. I never thought about it that way. It's just so cool to hear people constantly engaging with their life, themselves, their relationships, their faith, and being open to change and growth. And the insights that you guys share with me, I wish so much that I could show you my inbox and my text messages because it just blows me away, the number of people that I hear from. And, you know, I spend a lot of time on these talks and, you know, what happens, happens. But by Tuesday, I've gotten so much uh, feedback on Sundays and Mondays that I would actually give a significantly different talk on Tuesday because of all the better ideas that you guys have. 
So thank you for that also. Because, but the point is, is that I really do believe that we are learning, growing, and changing people. And that is actually, it's rare. Most people, I think, are like Wile E. Coyote. Like we just, we keep chasing the same thing over and over and failing over and over and, and yet refusing to reflect and ask the question, like, is it possible that just maybe I'm pursuing the wrong thing? But this community has always been about growth and transformation. We were talking about that with Paul and Judy last week. We've always been focused on this idea of the abund- what Jesus calls the abundant life or redemption or we've talked about it as eternal life or human flourishing, however you want to put it. And this morning, as we continue our series on Grace Changes Everything, that's what I'd like to invite us to consider. How does grace, trusting that God is on our side, that, that God and his ways are good for us, how does that grace change, change. Like the way and even the reason that we change, our openness to change. How does, it, how does grace, trusting in God's grace, how does it enlarge our ability to grow and transform and flourish? Now, contrary to what we're told and sold from every corner of life, the Bible it actually claims that change does not come from power. This is always the default setting of the human condition, that we think it comes from power. We want to believe that. In fact, I would say that this faith in power as an agent of change is one of the greatest examples of magical thinking in the world today. Like if I could just take this pill or buy this item or elect that politician or change this policy. In other words, if this outside power, be it a prescription, a procedure, a policy, if it would enter into my life or life somehow, things would finally change. Now, I'm not saying the opposite, that power doesn't matter, but I am suggesting that even in a world where we have all the right prescriptions, all the best procedures, all the the wisest policies and the best politicians, we still have this problem that we all too often are pursuing this roadrunner we can never catch. So even if we have the power to stare at the sun, if we won't look in the mirror, we are like the anti-hero of our own lives. And we can only get so far. Which is why, according to the Bible, the power to change does not come from power. This is what the Bible says. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. It is grace, the undeserved and unconditional acceptance, forgiveness, love, and affection of God that changes us. Not pride, not our own power. The Bible suggests that the key to unleashing this transformation in us is the very opposite of pride and power. It is humility. Humility. Now, we are, uh, when we are full of pride and self-righteousness and self-confidence and self-reliance, when we're self-absorbed, our pursuit of power in one form or another in life actually undermines the actual way that we can really change. Now, 
Look, we, we see this all the time, don't we? I mean, do you know somebody with an ego problem, right? Like, I, I call people like that sure-footed. That's just Mike Gathright code for you're arrogant and I don't like you. <laughs> do, do you know someone like that? Please don't elbow the person sitting next to you, right? The point is pride is really easy to see in other people and it's hard for us to see in ourselves. For instance, one of the things that I'm most proud of is my humility, which actually is like, oh, it ruins it, right? <laughs> put it this way. Let me put it this way. If you're thinking, oh my goodness, is this talk about pride? I hope he's listening. My gosh, they need to, or they need to hear this. If that's what you're thinking, then this talk is for you. <laughs> and for the record, this talk is also very much for me. As I was preparing this, I came across a quote, and it kind of sums things up for me. The greatest fault is to be conscious of none. Good. Really good. Pride is sneaky. Pride is deadly. It's the opposite of grace. It strips us of the secret to transformation and flourishing. It really does. So I want to refine our question a little bit this morning. And we're going to look at it in two parts and pieces. Let's look at it this way. What are the symptoms of pride? And then we'll move into, you know, what can we do to grow in humility? Okay, so psychology has actually done a really good job of highlighting some of the symptoms of pride. And one of the first ones that they, they point out is this concept or this idea of stagnation. Stagnation. When, when we think we have it all together, like we know either all there is to know or all that we need to know. That, that we have all the power we need to do everything we want or everything we need to do. There's no motivation to keep learning, to be open, to, to strive to grow, to develop, or to change. The Bible says, there's more hope for a fool than for a man who is wise in his own eyes. Pride prevents us from seeing and acknowledging our own weakness and getting help. As a basketball coach, I see this all the time, all the time. Players who only want to dribble to their strong side. And for most players, that's their right hand, their strong hand. And they only want to go to that strong side, to their right. Why? Because when they go to their right, they're creative, they're quick, they can make all these moves. But when, you go, when they go to their left, not so much. It's a whole other story. It takes humility to work on your weaknesses, to, for a basketball player to work on their left hand because they're going to be slower, they're going to look clumsy, and, and for a while, that's just how it's got to be. But if they don't do it, they won't grow. And see, when we would rather look good than be good, we stagnate, and, and that's pride. It is a symptom of pride. Look, there are times in our life and in our marriage, our career, our relationships, parenting, that, that life forces us to our left. There's just nothing else we can do. We have to go to our left. And if we won't acknowledge that, if we won't talk about it, if we won't um, find counseling or coaching or get some kind of help, that pride that's standing in our way and we get stuck, we stagnate. 
So the questions are, uh, you know, around this issue is, are, are we open? Are we teachable? Are we growing in our life? Let me ask it this way. If I could talk to the people in your, that you're closest to in your life, would they be able to tell me stories about, you know, how you used to be one way, but now you're different? Or, or are we stagnant? If so, it's a symptom of pride, and it sabotages the growth that grace wants to bring into our lives. So stagnation is really this, the first symptom. This, a second symptom of pride is disharmony. The root of all conflict and disharmony is pride. When we act out of pride, we tend to be demanding. I'm sympathetic, like I'm going to have it my way. My way is the right way. We can even become obnoxious, rude, maybe even worse, manipulative, because we're just absolutely certain that we know how this needs to go. And so relationships with others become a secondary thing and there's, there's brokenness there. There's disharmony. We keep score. We make long lists. We hold grudges maybe when people get in our way or thwart our plans. My dear friend and mentor, Susan Wilson, was listening to me talk about somebody who was thwarting my plans one day. And she said, you know, Mike, I don't hold grudges, but at times... I do nourish memories. <laughs> and I just love that so much because one, she was humbly admitting that she struggles with what she was hearing me struggle with without saying, Mike, you're struggling with that. It was such a beautiful and humble way to point out that I was holding a grudge, it was creating disharmony, and it was coming out of pride. You know, it's just so, so well done. But pride is defensive. It can be explosive, passive-aggressive, self-justifying, and merciless at times. And Lisa and I have now been married for 30 years. So I know, so great. So thank you. This summer was 30 years. And being as sure-footed as I am when we are doing, um, we'll do premarital counseling sometimes with, with folks who are getting ready to get married. And one of the things that I will often share with um, young men uh, getting married, that when your wife complains about you, and she might, I'm not saying she will, I'm saying it could possibly happen at some point, all right? In the, on the off chance that she's complaining about you at some point, Here's what you could take solace in. She's always wrong. And here's why. You're way worse than she's accusing you of. <laughs> right? And so I was sharing that, you know, Lisa kind of always rolls her eyes. You know, she, this stick that I have. And one time a young man said, well, hey, then that's true for my wife too, right? Like when I complain about her, she's even worse than I, can, than I am imagining. And, I'm, and I had to tell him, are you crazy? Never complain about your wife. <laughs> And then I told him another golden rule. Lisa and I don't fight. We have enthusiastic discussions. And one of the things that I've learned is that when I lose these enthusiastic discussions, I lose. But when I win them, I also lose. And so, <laughs> wise up, buddy, right from the beginning. But pride is always seeking, pride is always seeking to be understood. Have you ever even noticed like how much I've done, what I put up with, how often I've had to, while you just fill in the blank? That is pride. Whew. 
You too are an honest man, Bob. I believe that. That somewhere down deep inside of you is something that strives to be honest. The question that you have to ask yourself is has it touched the whole of my life? What does that mean? That means that you preaching Jesus is no different than Larry or anybody else preaching lubricants. It doesn't matter whether you're selling Jesus or Buddha or civil rights or how to make money in real estate with no money down. That doesn't make you a human being. It makes you a marketing rep. If you want to talk to somebody honestly as a human being, ask him about his kids. Find out what his dreams are. Just to find out. For no other reason. Because as soon as you lay your hands on a conversation, to steer it, it's not a conversation anymore. It's a pitch. And you're not a human being. You're a marketing rep. Oh, forgive me if I respectfully disagree. We were talking before about character you were asking me about character and we were speaking of faces but the question is much deeper than that the question is do you have any character at all and if you want my honest opinion Bob you do not for the simple reason that you don't regret anything yet you're saying I won't have any character Unless I do something I regret? No, Bob. I'm saying you've already done plenty of things to regret. You just don't know what they are. Jesus said, take the log out of your own eye first, and then you'll be able to see and take the speck out of your brother's eye. When we refuse to admit that we're part of the problem, it creates disharmony. If you're not saying, I was wrong and I'm sorry, often in your life, it's because A, you know when you're wrong but won't admit it, B, you don't know when you're wrong, or C, you're never wrong. And guess what? All three choices are symptoms of pride. <laughs> and it breeds disharmony in life. And I think we know it. Another symptom of pride is stress. Now, we live in what has been described as the me generation, like addicted to status and position and image. How do I look? What do other people think of me? You know, it's the selfie generation. It's called image management, really, is what counselors and therapists call it. But ironically, pride is really a scream for inferiority. That's what pride is. Have you ever seen these diplomatic meetings overseas where these dictators, there are dictators from these tiny little countries that we don't even know the names of and they'll, they'll come into these meetings and they make these grand entrances and they're regaled in all kinds of jewels and crowns and guards and sometimes dancers. And then there's the Secretary of State for the United States like sitting there in a business suit, you know? No pomp, no circumstance, why? Because they're secure. To be on constant guard of your image and what others think of us creates stress and it's a sign of pride. Jesus said, happy are the humble. 
Humility is the mark of emotionally healthy people. Emotionally healthy people. Pride is the mark of emotionally insecure people. If you have to prove something, if I have to prove something to you, it it means I'm insecure. Emotionally healthy people aren't concerned about status or image or ego because the humble don't enter into life to get something from it. They are secure. They're provided for. They're protected by the grace of God. And it changes the nature of how they enter into every day. It literally changes the entire direction of what life is about. It is not about getting something from other people for us. It is about giving something to the world. So this is a question that I often ask myself as a little self-check. And so when I get thrown off, I'll ask myself this question, like, am I living with nothing to hide, nothing to prove, nothing to fear, and nothing to lose? Because when pride is alive and well in me, I am usually hiding or proving or fearing or losing. And that creates stagnation, it breeds disharmony, and it builds stress in our lives. Living life on pride, on our own power, is not enough. We need something bigger, better, and beyond ourselves that can actually upend, reverse, change, and transform our human nature. the night time The city winks a sleepless eye Hear my voice Shake my window Sweet seduction sighs Get me out Into the night time Four walls won't hold me tonight And if this town just in that bone let me take a bite and they say why why but tell them that it's human nature why why does he do me that way and they say why why but tell them that it's human nature a stranger Electric eyes are everywhere See that girl She knows I'm watching She likes the way I stare If they say why, why Well tell them that it's human nature Why, why Must be that way If they say why, why
city's heart begins to beat Hurrying out, I touch your shoulder I'm dreaming of the street If they say why, why But tell them that it's human nature Why, why Oh, I wish I had my roller skates, my goodness. So if the hope for change comes from grace, and we access grace through humility, then I think we have to work on our question a little bit this morning and ask, how do we grow in humility? How do we grow in humility? And the Bible says, humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Now, you could read through the entire Bible, and not once does it say, we should ask God to humble us. The Bible says, humble yourselves. In other words, it's a choice. It's within our ability to do this. It's, it's a way of thinking, of acting, of responding, and of speaking. So how do we get there? How do we work humility into our lives? And the first way is to admit our weaknesses honestly. A man who refuses to admit his mistakes can never be successful. But if he confesses and forsakes them, he gets another chance. Now, research has shown over and over again that people, two things are true at the same time. One is people are very hesitant to admit when they're wrong. Very hesitant. We think it shows weakness. We think it will put people off. And those same studies show that when people do admit that, when people admit that they're wrong, it draws people towards them. It attracts people to you when you do that. It actually gives you more influence, more standing in that community. But if we won't admit our weaknesses, we can't work on our weaknesses. We will only dribble to the right over and over. And life will soon enough figure out how to make us go left. And we'll never be able to do it. Humility starts by just being honest. In fact, one of my favorite things about AA and the 12-step program is how, how much they emphasize humility. And this is what they say. Humility is simply stark, raving honesty. That's all it is. I, I don't have to have it all together, and neither do you. No one is perfect, but no one is totally ruined either. That's the view of human nature that God presents to us in the Bible. No one is perfect, but yet on the, same, on the other hand, no one is totally ruined. None of us are broken beyond repair. And so the second piece to humility is to evaluate our strengths realistically. Like, realistically. Pride is based on a false evaluation of ourself. Humility is based on stark, raving honesty. When you know the truth, it will set you free. This is what the Bible says. Don't cherish exaggerated ideas of yourself or your own importance, but try to have a sane estimate of your capabilities. Now, let's be clear about this. Humility does not mean putting yourself down all the time. Poor me, I stink, I'm no good. 
Remember, God made us on purpose for a purpose. He equipped each of us with unique and essential gifts. So when we complain about ourselves, when we whine about, you know, what we can't do, what we're not good at, that is not humility. It's actually pride. Because what we're really doing is we're complaining that God ripped us off. I deserve more than the measly, crappy, rotten gifts and talents you've given me. We're actually blaming God. So it's just a sneaky way of doing it. Self-loathing is the slimy underbelly of pride. So humility is not denying our strengths. It's just being honest about our weaknesses and our strengths. I think one of the hardest things to do in our life is to accept ourselves. Like honestly, sanely, maturely. To say, hey, this is what I'm good at. This is what I'm not good at. And to take full responsibility for developing the gifts we have and developing the gifts that we don't while not using our weaknesses as excuses to be lazy or to abandon the things that need to be done in life. You know, my daughter, Jenna, when she was little, she was just, she still really is very accomplished. She's very good at a lot of things, and she was very good at a lot of things when she was little. And so, um, you know, she's getting good grades and doing well in soccer and all this kind of stuff. And so we had to have a little chat about humility one day. And so we, we sat down, we had this talk about humility, and I, later that day, I asked her to clean her room. And she said, but daddy, I'm just not good at it. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, she should definitely go to law school, this one. So turning that back on me like that. But look, sometimes we have to dribble to our left. And humility does, is not an excuse to get out of that. One of Jesus' first followers said it this way. Each man should test his own actions. Then he can take pride in himself without comparing himself to somebody else. I know that's a little bit weird, like taking pride. I thought this whole talk was about you can't have pride. But that's, it's a different kind of pride. We can and should take pride in ourselves for doing our best with what we've been given. But notice the danger. Don't compare. Don't compare yourself to other people. And here's why. There are two, at least two problems when we compare ourselves with other people. And this is it. Every time we compare ourselves to somebody else, we always find what we're looking for. Always. Somebody we're better than if we're after praise or somebody we're worse than if we're after pity. It's true. Come on, we know this. The need for praise and pity both come from the same place. They are twins of the same parent Pride. Pride. One writer put it like this. Boasting is the voice of pride in the heart of the insecure. Self-pity is the voice of pride in the heart of the weak. And I think that's true. I know it's true for me. When I'm fishing for one of those, that's, that's the bait that I use. So don't, we shouldn't be comparing ourselves to others. We are each unique. God made you, you, on purpose, for a purpose. There's nobody like you. You are perfectly equipped. Each and every one of us is perfectly equipped to live the life 
God gave us to live. And that doesn't mean that things won't get hard, that, they won't, that we won't be stretched, that at times things aren't painful or even tragic, or that there won't be seasons where we find ourselves way out of our comfort zone. But it does mean that with and by God's grace, we are really capable of living our real lives really well. And I think that's the, the promise of how grace changes change through humility. That's the invitation, that we are all capable of living our real lives really well. Years ago, we sent um, actually a number of groups of storyliners to Haiti, to one of our international impact partners. Paul was speaking earlier about this is month we, is an impact month, and we have impact partners here locally, but we also have an impact partner globally in Haiti. It's an orphanage. It's called the House of Blessing Orphanage. And um, we would send groups there, and I was on one of those groups, and our whole family went. And every group that went was struck by the same exact thing, which was the incredible peace and happiness that the Haitian people have and that the orphans have. Now, how can that be? I mean, compared to us, they have nothing. No material resources, even more tragic, fewer human resources in terms of like education and skill. These people were not, uh, you know, it's one of the biggest tragedies of the third world is people, their, their gifts aren't fully developed in the way that we would think about it here through education or training. But still, they had all of this clearly they carried with them a dignity, a freedom, a peace, a hope, and a happiness. Now how? It was this deep sense of humility that they had. They did not compare themselves to others. They would live with a simple daily dependence on the grace of God. And it was amazing to see the stress and the disharmony just kind of wash right over them off them. A third way I think that we can, um, what we can do to grow humility in our lives is to enjoy our successes uh, gratefully. We must have an attitude of gratitude. Uh, the Bible says, what are you so puffed up about? Like, what do you have that God hasn't given you? And if, you, if all you have is from God, why act as though you have accomplished something on your own? Everything we have comes from God. We don't have anything that isn't from God. Even when we try to give God to people, the best thing that we could give, it's, it's very much like a child coming to a parent and saying, can I have some money? What for? Because I want to buy you a Christmas present. You know, no parent at the end of that goes, well, I'm materially better off because of that exchange. The child giving the gift got the gift in the first place from the parent. We don't have anything that wasn't from God first. Now, I've heard all kinds of objections to this idea. Well, pff, I built this business with my own two hands. Well, where'd you get your hands? <laughs> this was my idea. Well, where'd you get your mind? I poured my time and my energy and my talent into this. Okay. Where does your time and your energy and your talent come from? 
It's all from God. That doesn't discount how hard we've worked or how much we've sacrificed or any sense that we, in a, in a material world, that we've earned or deserved some of our success. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying the opposite. I'm just saying that when you start with the prerequisites for what it takes to be successful at anything, it takes what the Bible says is life and breath and everything else. And these things are just prerequisites we all must have and we have none of us have earned any of those things everything we have is a gift of God the Bible says every good gift and every perfect gift comes down from the father so when we know when we are aware uh, when we're in touch with where our successes come from it's this is critical to cultivating humility and ironically Humility is the only certain protection from humiliation. Because when our success is about us and something goes sideways, it's we're the ones on the, you know, with our head on the line there. So finally, and I think this is the most effective way to allow humility into our lives because doing this helps us to admit our weaknesses, evaluate our strengths, and enjoy our successes with gratitude is to serve others unselfishly nothing weeds out pride plants humility nurtures change and growth and transformation like serving you know there's been a lot written about this over the course of the last 15 or 20 years but certainly over the course of the last five years about the epidemic of anxiety and depression sweeping through America. This actually started before the pandemic. The pandemic greatly accelerated it, especially um, in young people, but it's been an issue for a very long time. And I was reading an article in the LA Times and it said this, the rate of mental depression in the United States has risen dramatically over the past 30 years. People born in the last 30 years face up to 10 times the risk of major depression than their grandparents did. Now, why is that? Well, according to the expert in this article, much of it can be traced to the historical and cultural occurrence, occurrences that have exalted the individual. Now, I wanna be careful to say that depression is very real and it's very complicated, and for many who struggle with it, it has nothing to do with pride, okay? But setting that aside, when we look at the enormous and sudden explosion of depression in our culture in the last 25, 30 years, especially in the last five or 10 years, we have to take into account our contemporary culture's fixation with me, with the self. One author says it like this, our culture is sliding into individualistic melancholy when people no longer believe that their country is benevolent and that their family can be a source of enduring unity and support or that a relationship with God is important where else can they turn for identity satisfaction and hope it's a great book by Paul Stiles is the American dream killing you His point is when we turn to self, our power, our pride, sooner or later we'll find we are not enough. Our life is not enough. And that 
is depressing. Service, service, self-sacrificial, self-forgetful, service. The more we help other people with other people, the more it lifts us out of ourselves and into the life-giving way of grace. You see, the bottom line is what modern science has established today, the ancient wisdom of the Bible has been telling us for thousands of years, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Look not to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be that, the same as that of Jesus. When we get our focus off of our needs, our desires, our hurts, our wants, off of living by our own power, for our own sake, in our own name, and onto the grace of God, it gives birth to humility in us. And it changes what we are pursuing. And instead, we live to pursue God and live in his name. What a beautiful
Campbell, Michaela, thank you so much. Look, we know this, everything about modern life wants us to think of ourselves, our name, our reputation, to live from that and for that. To look at what we do have and what we don't have and place our hope for change in some version of pride. Our power, our money, our friends, our political ideology. But this doesn't lead to change. When we live from that place and for that place, it leads to stagnation and disharmony and stress. But the way of Jesus is very different. It is the way of humility. And humility is not thinking less of ourselves. Humility is simply thinking of ourselves less. And when we do that, it opens up a doorway into a new way of living. And through that door, grace enters into our lives. And as it does, grace changes change. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for this time and this place and this opportunity to be together. There are some parts of our life and our character and our personality that all of us, we hesitate to face. I pray that you would help us to feel so loved and so secure in your grace and in this gracious community that we can be open and honest, humble, and focus our lives on you and your ways of love. We lift up all the people of the world. Each and every one of them are brothers and sisters, especially those who are suffering in conflict and war, and we ask for your peace to prevail on earth. As we leave, help us to grow and remain open, alert, expectant, and dependent on you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for coming, folks. We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to The Gathering from Storyline Church. Have a blessed week.